you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Around the NFL Podcast. Is this really the (laughs) offseason? Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. Come to you from a room filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal. You know, this is not like uh, any other offseason. Really, there is no offseason, as Mark has reminded us constantly over the last seven years of the show, at least not for us. Um, we're always busy, and we got the draft coming up now, free agency in the in the rear view now, and then the training camps, and then the season, and, you know, it, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, but also, this has been very different uh, than every other offseason, obviously. Uh, Chris Wessling. Our great friend and colleague on the show and uh, passed away, of course, in February. And, you know, we've talked about it a lot, boys, you know, just trying, you know, remembering Wes and mourning his loss and and moving forward or at least attempting to. And um, I want to bring in somebody here as we start today's show, Zach Kiefer of The Athletic, who did a great job um, remembering Wes in a piece in The Athletic. Really great stuff. So. Um, to start today's show, before we get to all the football stuff, want to talk about that. Welcome, uh, Zach, to the Around the NFL podcast. Thank you, Dan. It is an honor to be on with you guys. One of my favorite NFL podcasts. So I, I wish it was under different circumstances, but um, I have um, learned a lot about uh, the late, great Chris Wesleyan over the last couple of months. You certainly have. I mean, that is... Uh, you you really did a great job in it, and it and it required a, a sensitive touch, and you were always uh, wary of that. And when you connected with all of us, and you spoke with all of us, Ricky Wessling Brothers, um, really appreciated you understanding kind of the sensitivity of the topic. And I think you really, as I texted you this morning, you kind of nailed the essence of the man. Um, what did you learn about Wes? I mean, can I be honest? Yeah. It was hard to nail the essence of this man because he was he was a character. I think Mark, I think at some point you like 
you were like, you know, Wes always loved to collect characters in his life. He was the greatest character of all. Yeah. And I think you guys all kind of told me that in your own different way, because you each kind of had a different relationship with him. Um, but what you know stood out to me was this was a guy that for a long time. You know, a lot of people know him as the around the NFL guy, the football nerd, all that. Before that, he was this guy that was really looking for something, right? He, he really was kind of this wandering soul. And he was looking for meaning in his life and in his job. And it all kind of came together when Greg stumbled upon this 50,000 word, you know, football story he wrote for his old <laughs> website and everything really changed. And, um, you know, like I wrote in the story, heed the call. But what a character. I mean, I, I couldn't get people off the phone. They wanted to talk about this guy so much. And it was um, and, and at the same time, like when you're writing about this guy, it, it is a high bar to clear. Right. Like you got to get this guy right. And he was such a fun, unique individual. Um, I could almost hear Wes in the back of my mind saying, you better get this right, man. You better not. <laughs> you better do me justice. You know what I mean? It feels like that would be something he would say. You sure that wasn't Nick Wesseling's voice? His brother? Yeah, Nick, um, Nick was great. But at the end of our conversation, we talked for like 40 minutes. He was like, now, just so you know, you better not screw this up. You better get my brother right. <laughs> and I was like, in the back of my head, I'm like, I better not. Because he's got I'm gonna, what, I'm gonna, I'm Wes gonna. has got like, right. what, six brothers? Like, they'd all be hunting me down if I did his brother right. So um, the pressure was immense. I would just say that, um, you know, Wes, looking down on this, I think he would have immense um, respect with for how you carried out this project. Um, you know, I remember talking with you. We all had these long initial conversations. Um, and your level of, um, I think, emotional uh, awareness and sensitivity mattered a lot. Um, and you, you're more than just a reporter. And it's like, you never really know how some of these projects, when you're a writer, come to you in life. Um, and would I have thought Zach Kiefer would be the guy to write this, like, you know, when, when everything happened? I don't know I would have known that. But like, in the end, it came to you and you did such a respectful, powerful job with it that um, I really think Wes would, would smile down on what you've done. So thank you. Thanks, Mark. That, that really like means the world to me. And, and as I talk to you guys, I mean, I've been through something similar. And, you know, as you guys go through like stages of grief, like those are real, man. And that whole, like, it hit me like a ton of bricks when you talked about having to leave the podcast for a couple of minutes. And Dan, you were like, you know, I'll, I'll think about him on Sunday nights when I want to text him. And it's like anyone who's ever lost someone, they've been through those moments. Um, and I became invested in this story because one, Wes was awesome. He was, I mean, the stories made me laugh. And, and then there were moments that almost I had to get emotional too. And I didn't know Wes very well. We might've said hi in passing, but I feel like I know him now. And it was through you guys and it was through Erica and, and then hour long talks with Colleen and the, the text message she would show me that Wes used to send her. I mean, like there was gonna be a party one night and, and Colleen couldn't make it back in town. And, and Wes told her, no, we're going to hold off. We're not going to do it unless the whole group can be together. What a fun friend to have. And, and, and it came through to that, it came through to me, like all of us want to have friends like this in our lives. And, and you guys had that guy. And, and it sounds like you guys really, really became really tight. Yeah, that's really well said, Zach. Because, um, you know, I think when, when you lose someone, you know, you think of the family and that is, that is who we think of first is, is like Keisha and, and his family. Um, but when you talk about him as a friend, he meant so much to so many people as friends and like in our world and in everyone's world, like those are such uh, meaningful relationships. They were to him, 
Like, I think that would have been one of the highest compliments you could give him was that he was a great friend. And he, and he was to, to us all differently, but to so many other people. And so I, I think that's well said that it's like really hard to pin pinpoint the essence of Wes because there was a lot to him. You know, he could be he could be stubborn. He could be funny. He could be, you know, as kind as can be. But I I think hitting on um what he meant as a friend uh, to so many people, um, us, us and Colleen and everything, of course, in the article uh, is really meaningful. And, and it's, it's nice because we, you know, in this COVID time, um, so much has been lost, but I, I think the, the ability to honor and celebrate and uh, mourn um, has really been messed, you know, so messed up for so many people around around the world, and and now we, and we've been affected by that, and so we're going to have a chance to celebrate West all together. Um, but I think stuff something like this, where we're getting to celebrate him in print and sort of, uh, you know, in memoriam, like I think that's important. Like there's a reason people have been mourning and getting together and celebrating and honoring people for as long as there have been people. You know what and, I mean? It's because it helps. It's because it's meaningful. And so and so that really helps us. Thank and, you. And, so. you know, you reading the story, and that was really well said, Greg, like reading the story, even, even I'm re reading um, what Zach wrote. And again, it's in The Athletic. Um, uh, please check it out um, about Chris. It's it's like, I don't know. It, I keep on waiting for the story to change uh, as I'm reading it, that there's going to be a better ending. And then it, your story ends in kind of an uh, abrupt way to me, uh, not because of the writing, but just because there is no kind of happy ending to it. And that's still something that, that messes with you. And like we were planning a trip to Tybee Island at some point this year as a group to celebrate Wes. And, uh, you know, it's just like the fact that he won't be there with us. Uh, it we What, what we're going to do is celebrate him. And we know that's something that would make him happy and it's a great way to pay respect to him. Uh, but it is, it is a process for us. And, and I think Zach, that's what your story did a nice job hitting on that. We're, we're trying to figure it out. And the listeners are amazing. They've been so supportive of us and even look at the comments of your story, uh, Zach, immediately a huge outpouring in the comment section, people sharing West memories, what he meant to them. And that to me is another tribute to the man. The one thing that jumped out a lot was how real he was like, he wasn't a saint, right? And 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 you guys know in this business, there's a lot of egos and there's a lot of that. There's fake. This guy was not that. I mean, there's that little story that a couple people told me about the NFL Network coach kind of being like, yeah, we just some things we can work on. And Wes is like, I will not be taking your advice. Like he didn't he didn't play the game. He 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 loved football no. for what it was. And I wrote in there, like, he wasn't in it for the clicks. And that's something that I admire. Like, he didn't – he was doing 50,000-word stories on NFL stuff, and he wasn't getting paid a dime for it. Like, he loved the work for the right reasons. And he didn't play the ego game, and he didn't fall into that stuff. And a lot of people, I feel like, in this industry kind of do. And then to your point, Dan, I cannot begin to tell you the amount of outpouring of feedback I've gotten already in five, six hours. Like – I haven't been able to open my phone and that's not because of the story I did. That's because of Wes, right? Like I'm getting messages from people in Australia and England and Finland. And you know what? The one thing I hear over and over is I've never loved a guy more that I've never met. Hmm. That's the kind of impact. And you guys know this, you guys have done shows all over the, 
all over the world and you guys have had this huge following you've built up but that's blown me away how much this guy touched these people whether it was cancer whether it was football whether it was you know whatever whatever um i just i mean writers fans people who don't even like football people who've never listened to the podcast have reached out to say i didn't i didn't even know this guy um and i loved every word of the story because of who he was so you guys had a good one. He was an awesome guy. Well, I think you made, um, you know, reading some of the comments, I think there were a lot of people out in America and, and beyond um, at a corporate job and maybe, you know, sitting there and reading it at work and suddenly finding themselves shedding tears because it's like we're all still sort of going through it in these very unpredictable stages. Um, but I love that you wove in some of Wes's humor too because, like, that shouldn't be lost. Like, he's the guy that, like, when he'd have a WrestleMania there'd be like, he'd invite podcast listeners, you know, which we, we it wasn't always something we were aware was going to happen. And then like, he just would, he would, he, he didn't suffer fools, but he'd be anyone's friend. And some of my most like delicious West moments are like when we would be, you know, in studio trying to tape something and he just would have a meltdown over like the headset or things like that. Like he, when he get wound up, like there's only one West like that. So when I, when you mentioned like hearing his laugh and his voice, like um, I, I definitely feel that all the time. And the way that you opened the story by mentioning the silence that's been left behind on this show, but just in our lives, like I thought that captured um, how I've been feeling, how we've been feeling uh, so perfectly. Yeah, yeah that, hit, that hit me hard. Like when, when, when you told me that and then a couple of other you guys were like, I, I can hear his voice, but it's not there. That's something a lot of people can relate to, right? Like when you've gone through a loss. So, um, and, and, as hard as it was to write that at the very end, like you mentioned, Dan, like you're going to hear his voice for a long time and it's just, it's going to kill you. You know, he, he was that special. I heard it this morning because I had, I had struggled just to read it and just, they knew you were going to be on the show. And it's like, I almost heard him saying, it's like, just read, just, read, you know, finish it. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, cause I remember this pot, this other podcast that our, our friends did about his first battle too. And, um, like a similar a similar thing then and i and i just started thinking there's yeah he talked about too there's just magic people in your life and sometimes they're there for a little bit sometimes they're there for a long time like like wes was with us um and and he was just one of those people like and i don't know it's just like a everything about it i think of just the one time i've really met you zach randomly like i always associated this trip i had with indianapolis to do a story about Frank Gore with Wes because the, the mint, cause that was when he got his first surgery, uh, right when he got cancer. It was the first thing I did when I got, got back home from that, that trip, um, what was see him. And, and I don't know, it's like all these years later uh, that you're, you're writing about him and it's just, it's just something that's been part of like, I just, I don't know why I'm surprised, but I'm surprised how much of my life, I have these sort of thoughts of these, these connections that Wes was such a big part of like who, who we all were as, uh, as people. And, and this is another one. And I think he would, I think he would love what you did and he would appreciate it for sure. So we do thank you, Zach. Yeah, we really do Zach. And, um, you know, part of what I feel like is our responsibilities helping to keep Wes's memory alive. And, you know, sometimes, and I've had a lot of like, thoughts just to myself like what is it what does it mean to do this podcast if one of us isn't around anymore well one reason to do it is it's it's to keep Wes uh in people's memories and and Zach what you wrote um that's going to be there forever uh digitally and and whenever people want to learn more about Chris 
uh, Zach Eifer, your your piece in the Athletic uh, nailed it. So if you haven't read it, please read it. And again, uh, Zach, we just say thank you uh, for for doing it the right way and honoring a great man. Yeah, thanks for your guys' help and for answering 45 text messages for me and for <laughs> answering all my questions and, and really talking about something that's really, really hard and still really raw for you guys. So um, every, I'm looking you know, forward to seeing you in person, Zach, like yeah, next sure. Combine or Super Bowl, whenever we're all oh, yeah. allowed to be to be safely well, together, we can we can throw one back maybe at maybe at the um, maybe at the bar where Wes uh, loved in, in Indianapolis, where uh we well, if we're going to honor Wes, we're going to throw more than one back. Exactly. Just be <laughs> prepared. And, I'm and in. I'm in. He also loved honor. multiple bars, by the way. Let's not narrow it down here. <laughs> um, Zach, thank you again. And uh, best of luck uh, in the upcoming season. Does great jobs covering the NFL and the Colts. Zach Kiefer. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, Thanks. guys. All right. There he goes. Yeah, that was awesome. He, he just did such a great job with it, uh, boys. And I, I think, uh, you know, when um, he first reached out to us all and he did that right as well he kind of reached out to us individually taking our temperature on it um there is an initial bit of trepidation is like do you want to kind of be on record talking about him and is it going to come out right because you don't have control obviously over the final product um but ultimately i know you know we're plugged in greg you're very good and knowing like who who's legit and who's not in league <laughs> circles uh we lean on you with that uh and he zach just seemed like somebody who thought we could handle it. And, um, and I mean that sincerely, like it is it as time goes on. And one thing that I've learned from this and people, everyone means well, everybody means well in the NFL, as I've said on the show, all the people behind the scenes, shadowy league figures, colleagues, everybody was super cool. Um, uh, in the wake of Wes's passing in February, but like what happens with loss and people that are, you know, truly close to somebody is, the world moves on and people that uh, knew Wes and respected Wes, they say the right things and they mean it uh, 95% of them, but then life moves on. That's just the way life is. But then for the people that are really close to someone that's, that goes, uh, you're still there and you're still trying to figure it out. And we're at a certain place. That's been really hard. Lakeisha is at a place that we can't fathom and there's right. just layers to it. Um, so, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with this other than to say that this is an ongoing process. It feels like it happened yesterday. It feels like a long time ago. But the fact that it was only, um, so, what, a little over two, two months, months ago? A little over two, two months. Two and a half months it's ago. It's, it's so that's unbelievable. soon. I, I, I really like what you said there, Dan, because um, I think, number one, and this is um, not a surprising, um, you know, I guess, uh, result from what's happened, but our group, um, for all the ups and downs we've had, I mean, our larger group, not just the three of us and, and Ricky, but larger, I think we've grown like um, immeasurably closer. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of like hours alone, you know? Yep. Yep. But, it's like but some... we're going to do, we'll keep doing him proud. Like that's, he's our friend, you know? Yep. I think some shows like, you know, we're trying to figure out the balance of things, too. And, you know, some shows we, we don't talk about them. Some some shows we do. But it's all, you know, it's always it's always there. Um, I just <laughs> I it's funny. I wish I, I told Zach this privately, too. You mentioned like knowing um, like 
Zach just a, like a little bit. Wes and I had a conversation. We would always talk like we're kind of ranking beat writers or ranking beats like the athlete. And he would, I knew that Zach, I knew that's that some real Wes, scientist, by the way. I it knew is. that Wes was a fan of um, the athletic Colts beat. And I knew he knew Zach. I, th- you know, we talked, I talked about that trip that, that I had with going to see Frank Gordon seven. We talked about, oh yeah, they're really good. Uh, Zach and Stephen Holder on the Colts beat. And that, that sort of thing mean, means something. And it's almost like, I, I love that I had that thing in my head, my ear from years before, like, cause it was meaningful for us um, to move forward. And we will go to the lesbian bar. That's the one I'm talking about in Indian. Well, it, you know it, what I'm it, saying? It, like what? Yes, the, it was, it was, that the, was its character the lesbian, that karaoke-ish evening, right? bar. Yeah. Right. Well, but that, we don't know, you know it's a COVID smoky, reality. It's, yeah. Right, well. Yeah, that's true. It might not be for a year or two. Well, hopefully, yeah, it's back. <laughs> Is it too. still a lesbian bar? We don't know. We, we don't know. Um, but maybe one day we'll find out. I, I mean, that's West, where I actually always... met. I met I met Freddie Kitchens at that bar. It is not a lesbian bar. It is it that on that one particular evening, it was a karaoke event oh, okay. that seemed to involve lesbians. Hey, Rick, just, I'm just bring in, in general, Ricky. though, Wes punched above his weight with lesbian friends. Like half of his friends from Tybee were, were lesbians. So it's like that sure. was just the circle that Wes was was rolling. Yeah, with what do you need? Your lesbian thing. correspondent. No. Yeah, my lesbian correspondent, <laughs> like, Erica Temposi. I'm like sobbing about Wes. Erica, wipe away your tears and tell me is lesbian bar the proper nomenclature? Um, You can call it girls night. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the bar. Depends on the bar. Some yeah, but bars. there really aren't a lot of lesbian what bars. What are we talking they, about? They don't bring enough money. Guys mm. spend money. They have. They make more money than women. They have ladies' nights at gay mm. bars, but right. there really statistically aren't lesbian bars. Thank you, Erica. Ricky, anything you wanted to? As we get back on track here, that was. An, um, by the way, that was an excellent. Um, report filed by you right there. You, that was I, excellent. I we that. might need the developing news drop on that one. Um, yeah. Uh, but Ricky, you, uh, you were interviewed also, obviously, for that piece. Um, anything you wanted to add there? I don't know if I can. Uh, it was it was beautifully, beautifully done, and you guys summed it up perfectly. I'm just like, oh, I have this huge photo of him behind me, and it's you know, I, it's in my living room. I'm in a one bedroom apartment where my setup is, so I'll be doing my workouts, you know. And it's funny, I like. I, Every time I turn around after doing a hard set or push-ups or whatever, I see Wes kind of <laughs> laughing at me, Humble and I, I, I talk to him. It's it's like my whole life is in this one room, and it, and it's like sometimes I'm like talking to a damn photograph, <laughs> but I he 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 I hear his voice. He's he's telling me, you know, it's it just doesn't feel that would real mean, still. It would mean a lot to him. Um... Wherever Wes is, uh, know that photo is, is behind you. Because that, again, just, you know, he meant so much to all of us. And in, in different ways, as Zach alluded to. We all had kind of different relationships with Wes. Um, and that's kind of a measure of the man, too. That he kind of could live in so many areas and connect with people on so many different levels. Um, yeah, right. I work out. <laughs> <laughs> well done. We get it. Oh, man. Listen, I... But, it's not like you transition to a regular football podcast after having conversations like that. And I'm not doing the line. Cause I don't like when people do it. It's like, this is what Wes would have wanted. Yeah. But he would have wanted us to talk football today and, and not make it just all about the, the sadness of the, the situation on balance. So uh, let's not, he football. liked, he liked like a little attention. He did. 
like everyone. He liked. Well, he I mean, liked a it's about attention. me. Where did ego. that come from? So. Right. We're all. We've all got a little ego, but he didn't like too much. Right. He, he would. He, he would. He would want to. He would want to move it on at a, at a certain point for sure. Yeah. So so let's so let's do that. And just one more call to the article. Go find it. Uh, I know it's behind a paywall, which is tricky, and I would never tell you to find it through ways that aren't paying for the athletic, because it's a very good website. Uh, but find the article, however you can, uh, and, and check out the ATN subreddit as well uh, for discussion on it. Um, all right. Big show today. Um, Zach, obviously, awesome guest. We have another guest coming up later, Nate Tice, uh, who is really a, a guy that we like and respect um, in the in the draft game. And we're going to have him on the show to talk about some prospects that are jumping out to him. The draft is not far off. I know you said we're in the, what did you call it in the last show, Mark? The teens of April or the, I can't, I can't remember what it was. Um, an anonymous, I don't remember anything I said on this show. So I, you know, I don't know what, what I said. <laughs> an anonymous time uh, of, of the year. Although I did think after the show, like you were kind of ragging on April a little bit, but Colton is an April baby. And me and your wife shared the same birthday, also in April. So a little bit of an unnecessary pop there. And my father. So I, I've checked and the old every man. offensive box possible. And Ed Sessler, you know, in the biggest of all spots, right. uh, gets taken down a notch. Proud of me now, Dad. Well, uh, it was you know, not my total intention, but you're right. The results are, are unchanged. It hurt. It stung. I'm going to be honest right. with you. Um, yeah, so we're going to have Nate on. And also, Greg wrote a banger on the, uh, all the GMs in the league. And Greg, a little bit of a twist. You want to get into it? Well, we're doing news first. We could we could do whatever you want first. Um, All right, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do some news. Get caught up there. Hit Greg's GMs and then bring in Tice. What a show! Not Mike Tice and Nate Tice. Does he keep the pencil behind his ear? I guess you'll have to wait to find out. Like the old man Mike, always had that number two pencil behind his ear. Yep. Had a he lot was, of fun with it. He was. Matt I mean, Patricia also famously missed. Patricia. He also Although, famously missed a draft pick in the first. I mean, not all on him, but the. The Vikings did. You remember mm, that? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think maybe that um, is something that Nate would not want to yeah. comment on. But well, he probably what... doesn't want to get too into like the dad <laughs> thing. I'm sure he gets that a lot. But right. To, but so I'll say it for him. Mike Tice did a lot more winning than people remember. Right. Because uh, because the it did end poorly. There were some wild. There were some fun uh, people stories. People had fun with. Uh, but he did. He did a sneaky amount of winning. Uh, that, he did. That people forget. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. I'm sure he would respect his dad. Unlike Mark with Ed. I mean, you know. I don't know what is, I don't know. I'm not sure what's, where we're going here with that. I respect Mike Tice and my father. How about that? <laughs> Nailed it. Let's do some news. Now, I've always said, I'm going to go until the wheels come off. And uh, they finally have fallen off. Due to an injury last year, I'll be making my official announcement of my retirement from football. There he is, Julian Edelman, uh, Patriots great. Uh, one of the more productive and successful wide receivers in the history of that esteemed franchise. Uh, listen, I don't hold anything against him. These players, they they give up so much um, to build football careers. And if they have a really successful one like Julian Edelman did, who am I to uh, mock his retirement video? But I will say the... 360 pan around Julian Edelman at midfield uh, of uh, Gillette Stadium with him just wa- looking around the stadium in, I guess, awe and reverence. Uh, and really, I mean, really going for it. it. It probably took about 30 seconds. And then he began uh, his monologue. 
that was the good stuff. That's the cringe comedy that I enjoy. <laughs> it is. It, I watching that. I was just like, this is one of those things. If it was any other uh, team, fa- you know, favorite player, I would just be mocking this so hard. But when it's your player, you're just like, yeah, take take whatever time you need, Julian. By the way, did you make it to the very end? You probably didn't. I did uh, not. Where, I have where to a say. spaceship, <laughs> a spaceship beamed him up, which was a pretty big tonal shift. I'm not even joking. Um, I liked it. It added a little, I'm absolutely serious. It added a little levity to what was a little, very self-serious. Yeah, but he, uh, wait a second. He put so much, so much effort into building up the gravitas. You can't, it's a total disconnect. It it didn't really make sense. It was kind of like in a Judd Apatow movie. Sometimes they suddenly change tone a little hard. Uh, it doesn't quite work, but, uh, but it was fun. I I like that he added that to the, it was Julian Edelman's, this is 40 moment. <laughs> I always like Julian Edelman is the and I think I probably mentioned this before but the first person that I interviewed first player I ever interviewed at nfl.com and it was like when he was essentially unknown I mean he Seventh was the round he, pick well he just he was he 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 still though he had this like beautiful long um Thor like hair and now this was the same day where Dan and I both were dispatched I think they were kind of testing to see you know if we could even do this These and guys got um chops. he yeah, if we had the chops. Dan went and interviewed Brandon Lloyd, and I'll let Dan explain that. But I learned that day that that version of Edelman, I, I think the whole beam me up and what he was in that announcement, he's really evolved as a person. I mean, he's not tight-lipped like some Patriots players were, but he was back then. And it was like five questions with Julian Edelman. I could not get him to say anything at all. And in fact, I even asked if he had like tried to get funny, if he had molded his hair off of Thor, the Marvel character. And he just looked at me like... This person is a nut. This person's a total nut. And Dan's interviewing Brandon Lloyd and having, I look over and he's like, they're both giggling and laughing and enjoying each other. And it's just like, I learned a lot about the Patriots uh, culture that day. Yeah, he never really got off that too much with the media, but he, um, he was such a fascinating player. And the Hall of Fame argument that everyone's been having on Twitter this week is so mm. annoying because, look, I'm usually the first one to talk Hall of Relentless. Fame. Relentless. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the Hall of Fame as an entity, but, you know, sometimes you just wish you could just talk about um, what he was as a player because it, it was so fascinating. I think there was levels to him. First of all, he had, like, an uncannily similar career to Troy Brown, which to me was Mr. Patriot. It's the only jersey I own. When I think of the 2000s, in terms of the Patriots, I think of Troy Brown. When I think of the 2010s, I think of Julian Edelman. Obviously, Brady is you know the guy who puts it all together, and Gronk is like a, a superior player. But to me, those were their two glue guys, and we're going to talk glue guys on on our TV show this week. And Edelman was a return guy who was an incredible returner, like one of the best uh, of the last 15 years as a returner just like Troy Brown, had no like receiving production for three or four years, finally gets his chance after Welker leaves and just takes over, but so dynamic. I mean, a college quarterback, Kent State, like a legit quarterback. It wasn't like, hey, I'm playing quarterback. Sometimes I'm half, you know, think they ran a crazy offense at Kent State, and he becomes this wide receiver who was a seventh-round pick but was so explosive and uncanny. And I remember saying early, pretty early when he started coming up, like, I'm taking him over Welker because he's making guys miss. He's making plays on his own. The combination 
of what he could do with his mind meld and with Brady and the way he was just physically gifted at getting open and doing things after the catch. He was such an integral, awesome just player. And so I don't care. I don't personally think he's a Hall of Famer, but I, I don't care that much about that when like that's dominating the thing. He had something greater, which was like you knew him. You know, it, it everybody, just, you knew him. He was in all the big spots. He he played his best in the biggest moments. And it's like, what's better than that? You know, that's, yeah. that's what people know. I mean, not here to, to judge our contemporaries, but it just seemed lazy to to just break it down to just, is he going to Canton or not? When some guys, that's not the best way. Now, th- could he go to Hall of Fame? He could. And, and I think his playoff resume is a big part of that. He had 118 catches for 1,422 yards and five touchdowns in the postseason, which is crazy. I think about when I think about his big playoff moment, Mark, you and I, I think Wes might have been with us um, as well. We were at Rocco's in Culver City. It was a great back-and-forth playoff game with the Ravens. I think it was the last, like, Joe Flacco flash in the postseason where he was just going toe-to-toe and outplaying Brady for a first stretch of that game. Patriots come back from multiple scores, and the, the turning play of the game was Julian Edelman throwing a perfect deep spiral on a trick play to Danny Amendola. I mean, he was just like the t- exact type of guy, like not not to bring it back to baseball, but like when I think about my own dynasty I had in my life, the Yankees, like Bernie Williams, like he was the Julian Edelman of the Yankees. He's not going to the Hall of Fame. He was never the best player on the team, but you can't mm-hmm. imagine how they would have been able to sustain the greatness that they did without him at the center. And I think he's one of the great all-time glue guys. I think Edelman is like, when you think about what it means to be a glue guy, Edelman was that for the Patriots. I still kind of think he's going to end up on the Bucks this year, especially after the really? alien close to the video, which makes me think everything was totally a farce and insincere before that. Uh, but if this is indeed the end and his body's probably telling him it is, it was an awesome career. Cantner, no, that doesn't matter. I mean, speaking of the Bucks, I, I just think that he was genuinely, you know, not in a malicious way, but just hurt by Brady leaving. I don't think he was the same after that. I mean, if I can't think of a player who bought in more to what Tom Brady was selling in New England, and they just, I think Greg, you used the word mind meld. Um, they were, and in, in the biggest moments, in January, when it mattered the most, they were linked. And I just, I cannot think of him in a different uniform as much as it was weird to think about Brady in a different uniform. I mean, he really was the New England Patriots, and you're right about the glue guy thing. And he's a special player. He was a college quarterback. He had to come in and be so many different things to keep his role initially in New England. And he found every possible way to contribute. And that's a total Bill Belichick type player right there. His body was broken. I know we should move on. But uh, the last thing was like him winning that Super Bowl MVP in the in the Rams game on a season where he was like dragging that knee around. I that's the thing is I I don't know if he's coming back because he's you could he no one took more more hits than Edelman over the years and just seemed to be totally spent. And look, I get it. Patriots fans are obnoxious. He was a small white guy that got like too much love because he was like a small white guy, but it's like it also doesn't change that he was just like such a badass um, as a player, and uh, I don't know. He'll, he'll have the last revenge because this Hall of Fame thing will be so annoying as a debate for the next 15 years. Horrendous. And- it's a horrendous conversation. <laughs> it's a bummer of a way to, to, to go out on his career. I would think Edelman will, will say that to you if you ask him the question, too, That's which true. is to go out in 2020 with a, a bad 7-9 and nine Patriots team his best buddy Tom's not there. It's COVID, so there's nobody in the stands. He can't get on, he can't stay on the field. It makes me think of the because uh, Mark, I think you nailed it. I think he probably felt like when Brady left, his career in a lot of ways ended 
as well. Uh, when Red was thinking about Andy after Andy d- escaped and he's and Red's still in the prison in Shawshank and he just goes, I guess I just miss my friend. No, bingo. Yeah, I, I feel like that's the way Julian was in his final season. All right. <clears throat> Speaking of future Hall of Famers, potentially. Jadavian Clowney has found a home. Stop. Um, as predicted it it, it, it happened Jadavian Clowney is on the Cleveland Browns as predicted it's a one-year contract loaded with incentives that get up to 10 million if he plays well and stays on the field and as predicted Twitter went crazy with photoshops of Miles Garrett next to Jadavian Clowney and various stories about the Browns big offseason capped with a big move all that to me is hokum as Dave Damashek would say uh, but at the same time, do I hate the move, Mark? I don't hate the move. It's it's worth a, worth a shot, but just buyer beware. You're not you getting the it. guy. You're not getting the guy that was blowing up that running back in the backfield at South Carolina. You're getting a potentially broken down near 30 guy that has struggle, struggles to stay healthy and uh, has never put up huge uh, numbers. Well, I think, you know, we did a network hit with, um, with Baldy, and he said it, you know, right, right away that he needs to be – in shape, he needs to get his body ready for football. And have you um, guys heard a lot about that? Because uh, when Baldy said that, that raised my eyebrow a little no, bit. No, it, it did. If it that's did for like me in too. football circles, a little like bit. Thing. He, he yeah. definitely wanted to get that out there. And Baldy talks to coaches, and Clowney's had uh, a lot of surgeries in the off season over the last few years and missed a lot of off season work. And yet I think that's that that's a factor to it. But that's what he was speaking to that that he was not showing up in the right in the right way. I just think like the reason that I'm not um, I don't think it's a reason to say it's a tipping point moment for Cleveland uh, and now they're unstoppable. It's like we we shouldn't be looking at Jadavian Clowney that way. It's maybe you get 10 games out of him, 11. I don't know. Um, you know, they took a bit of a risk um, signing Tack McKinley, too. And so maybe the combination of those two guys and someone that you draft or a couple guys you draft form that right side of the defensive line across from Garrett. I don't think it's a clowny come in and save the day type move. I mean, the Browns, I think, under Andrew Berry have done a nice job this offseason. The way they did last year, focusing on tight end and offensive line. This time around, the need on defense was clear. I mean, they were lashed on defense, and they were injured a lot last year, but they um, have shored up their secondary. They got Grant Delpit back. Um, I really like the signing of Ronnie Harrison during the year last year. Their secondary looks like a strength right now, and that kind of thing can really help the pass rush. So maybe I, part of it is, is Clowney in a better situation than he was in Tennessee um, or in previous years? We'll wait and see. But, um, the, you know, he's going to a pretty good team where I think he is being put into a position to succeed. And he sounds motivated. I don't know what that means in real life. But listening to him yesterday, he said that the Browns and Andrew Berry were like relentless in pursuing him. And that mattered to him. That has to matter, um, you know, 16 games or 17 games during the season, too. I mean, I, I think sometimes you look at Clowney and, like, is the motivation there? I don't know. I don't want to speak for him, but um, he's a player with question marks. I'm not just suddenly, because he's on the Browns, like, doing the thing that a fan does where it's like, hey, you know, he's I my am. favorite player now. I am. I well, love Clowney. I mean, He's, first of all, he's 28. He's been incredibly productive uh, in his career because pressure is production. And he, to me, he's, you know, he's been <sighs> one of the 10 best defensive ends over the last years. Now, the last two years have been totally injured. Before that, though, no one played more. So it's always, it's always been this public perception. He's playing through injuries, but he played 1,000 snaps a year. He was, he was tough. M- maybe he is more motivated now. But here's the thing. That is, there's a no risk. $7 million is nothing to me. Cap space is such a waste. To me, I, I I still don't get why this isn't like 
more talked about. Why, why do six, seven teams, even in this year where the cap went so down, still have more than $25 million in cap space? What is that doing for you? Ultimately, you're not really going to the max of using all the resources you can to make your team better this year and spend all the money you can well, to right, win this the year. There's no impact on next year. It's $1 million. It's a one-year contract. There's no risk to it to all. You're taking a resource, and you're doing it with a guy who I, who's gotten double-teamed as much in the top five players in the entire NFL since he's been in it, including the last few years. So he's used to those double teams. He's used to winning battles, even if he's not, like, the best pass rusher in the world. Like, I love it. Give me some class. Listen, this is exactly – I mean – and I'll say the point. I don't want to belabor this, but you're talking about the guy like he's a star, basically. And 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 it's like, that, why that. is he on his fourth team in four years? Why is he struggling to find a job deep? It's for a reason. And Baldy, like we said, plugged in as anybody. Is this guy doing the right things to be the best version of himself? No one's saying it's a bad signing. I'm not saying it's a bad signing. It just It's just kind of like buyer beware a little bit. Let's, let's, I don't know, just calm down a little bit about it. See, you're part of the reason, Greg. You're those guys that are saying he's like this... And by the way, he could also be seen. You say, okay, no, it's no risk. It's, you know, it's $7 million. What does that mean? But there's that old term, the old Parcellsism. Maybe you can get somebody better in that spot. Someone younger, maybe Clowney at the stage of his career is a progress stopper. That's all. That's all. We'll see. That's right. He's he's 28. They they can still uh, play the guitar. Draft someone. (laughs) I love it. I just, I also just like, you love this sighting because, uh, I got to do it. It's good for the podcast. It's good for the podcast. It's good that the Browns are getting so hyped now. Um, You know, I got to do a sandwich. There's almost only one way it can go. Unfortunately, it's only fair that I do a sandwich prop. Uh, It just makes so much sense. So I'm going to set go get my lunch prop and you guys could take me up on it. If you I don't want it to be sacks. I don't want sacks. It's going to be sacks. Okay. no, I don't want. So don't do it. Don't take it. I'm going to set the over under. He finishes. Below, oh, this is a tough one. Greg is so high on him, so, but he's not a big I mean, I give right, me four some and hurry. Is, give me four pressures. And a half. Okay, I'll take four and a half. <laughs> I mean, you, mm. you said it. If he hits five sacks, you guys get the sandwiches. He finishes ah! under. Uh, <laughs> if he finishes under, you guys owe me. You're taking me? You better half. take. You better take that. I mean, that is a low number there, Mark. I'll, I'll take you. I mean, I, I, I could see it go either way, but why, why not take you on it? Sure. I mean, it would be I, amazing. I feel to good win, about five. So. I thought you were going to go like double digits. I mean, he's never had five. ten. So I mean, to, to act like I can't set it at eight and a half or something. I'm going to go on the low end. Uh, I know Tackles he's for loss. Guy QB hits. Hurries, yeah, I know. Run. Go wait till three of them come on Zach Wilson. Then you're going to feel but, your sandwich but, bet. Gosh, we we are going on too long. Baldy did mention how teammates like love playing. I do remember being there when he was the kind of the leader of them winning their first playoff game in franchise history. And um, I think his teammates love him. It's not like a guy like I don't think it's like you're adding something that's bad to a locker room by any means. I think players are impressed by him. And he he was like he was the guy there. J.J. Watt was hurt, and he he took over and won him a playoff game. Meanwhile, Seahawks fans are saying, why don't you talk about our overhyped veteran pass rusher that we just got? Alden Smith, formerly of the Cowboys, signs a one-year contract with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, you know, here's another guy that depending how you look at the tape and what numbers you look at, had a, a nice season with the Cowboys last year. He did have a three sack game early on, but finished with five, uh, did get to the quarterback, Greg, with 
uh, some regularity, maybe wore down as the season went along, but played a lot of snaps for that Cowboys team, which I think surprised uh, people. Do you think this is an impact uh, signing for Seattle? I think it's worth a shot because they've left themselves a little thin. He, he definitely wore down, so maybe he'll do better you know, in a lesser role. I know Seahawks fans are strangely excited about this defensive line. Uh, it, it's Puna Ford. Um, it's LJ Collier, their first round pick, who's been okay, not really great. But then you got Dunlop, you got Alton Robinson, who's shown some things. You have a second round pick, Taylor, who didn't do anything last year, Daryl Taylor, Benson Mayoa, and then you add Smith to this. Like Seahawks fans, don't tell them that this isn't one of the highest potential defensive lines in the league, which I, I don't quite get. It's it's like a lot of people, definitely, and he's one of them. <laughs> I don't know if I'm buying it. And other signings, Cordell Patterson, he finds a new home. He lands with the Falcons on a one-year, $3 million contract. Interesting to me that Patterson, and I understand, and by the way, the Graybeards are flying off the board now. This is the week where it's, <laughs> it's happening. I got I, I, a handful in the last well, they, couple of days they have, alone. They wait for your article to come out. The GMs, <laughs> I know, and I really, and they, I okay. honestly do appreciate it, NFL, um, our league. But it does surprise me. I know he's not a dynamic wide receiver and a running back. Maybe he's a gadget guy. So he's not going to ever be a linchpin of your offense necessarily, even if that's what I was asking of with the Graybeards. But just the impact that he has on special teams, that's such a big part of football. Uh, and having a guy at that, it's, it's to me a big bargain for the Falcons, a big ad at this juncture in free agency. And I just wonder why an elite, a truly elite special teams player who could flip fields and change games uh, why there's not a bigger market, even if he is somewhat limited in other ways. I'm with you. I mean, I think, you know, from the Falcon side of things, I love it. I think Arthur Smith is someone that's going to find a way to maximize someone like Cordero Patterson. And mm. I mean, his special mm. teams usage is excellent. And I mean, for me, the Falcons are a weird team right now. They have like 55 players under contract. Um, they're about $4 million <laughs> under the cap. This uh, is my favorite after... tidbit of the no, because it I, is a I, good one. It is I a think good they're one. in a real they're in a puzzle because I was reading some stuff where they basically can't even sign the rookie class right now. So it's like you're in a conundrum. They'll There's no other team well, in that same situation. I know they'll figure it out, but it's like it's I think Arthur Smith is in a tough spot. And it makes me really wonder what they're gonna do at number four and what could happen there. I think that is a huge like pivot point in the draft. I, the only thing I'll push back on there, Mark, is the narrative that Arthur Smith is going to be the one to unlock Patterson. I don't know if it's going to happen if it hasn't happened yet, but my point being like, that doesn't necessarily matter if he's doing what he's been doing at special teams, his whole career. It's to me, a great signing, whether or not he finally finds a coach that unlocks his true potential as a playmaker. I mean, I thought the market is for special teamers. Basically that's kind of the top of the market for specialized just special teams guy is about three million. Like he got five Patterson did when people thought maybe he'd help a little more on offense. I think people have kind of given up on that. It's about what the, I think if the Patriots had, weren't already paying so many guys on their special teams, two and a half, three million, uh, just to be special, they'd probably bring him back. But it's like we are, you can only have a couple of those guys at most on your team. All right. That's what's happening in the news. All right. Let's get into it. It just went up on nfl.com and i greg i don't want to start us off on the wrong foot here but uh, the headline of this piece and it's a really good one and everybody should check it out general manager power rankings colon nfl draft edition slammer you know that i'm the power ranking 
power rankings guy, right? Oh. Like, that uh, yeah, this in, doesn't. I don't maybe, like this at all. Maybe the IP here, the intellectual property, is property of the old Zeuser, the old new blue eyes. What, mean, or the new old blue eyes. You're giving Let's, me some memories of the old uh, power rankings guy. Uh, <laughs> I did not suggest that. I would not have put power rankings. Um, last year it was like GM rankings. This time I'm just looking at the draft only. I decided to do it only back to 2015. So that that's on the editors. I'm not putting I okay. didn't do that. I, I will mean, be you know, overturning Greg, some of tables. Of course, Greg is going to throw someone under the bus. But readers in general should know that we essentially never create our own headlines. <laughs> All right. Correct? Well, with that out of the way, Greg, I think things are moderately strained between us now over this. But <laughs> since you did throw the editors under the bus, I again, I will overturn some tables, even if it's virtually to, to write this wrong. But in terms of the article you wrote, let's put the focus where it belongs. And I do like you changed it up this year. No, you're not involving trades when breaking down the merit of GMs. You're not including uh, free agent signings. It's all on draft. And you went all the way down the list. And I, I get the feeling some GMs might be reading this piece, Greg, and uh, are holding their breath right now. Tell us who do you have right now as the best GM in football when it comes to drafting talent. I went Chris Ballard first. What's uh, your favorite type of frog? He has the advantage he's only done four drafts. So it's like I think the longer you draft, the more of a chance you have for some clunkers. And even he... Um, you know, had a had a year, his first year there, 2017, there didn't hit a lot of home runs. But if you look at what he did when he first got there, Darius Leonard, uh, of course, Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith in that same draft, who's a really good starting tackle, uh, Naheem Hines. That's one draft. And then you look at last year, he almost drafted the defensive rookie of the year, Julian Blackman, and a couple good offensive players in, in Pittman and Taylor. Right now, his hit rate is like really high. So I feel like the other GMs looking at this list, Belichick's like, hey, yeah, let's just let him do it for 10 years and think how good it's going to be then. <laughs> but right now, Ballard is flying high. I, I think there's nothing you could say uh, against Ballard at this stage. I think what he's done so far uh, is beyond reproach, really. Um, was there someone that was that was close? The, the number two choice here was it close, or was he was Ballard head and shoulders uh, right now above the rest? I gotta admit, it was kind of like they were all close. When you re- one thing I took away after doing this, and I you know, I went to Pro Football Reference, I looked at every draft pick, I I had different methods, how many starters and Pro Bowls and different things. It's like the difference between the best GMs. And the worst, I you know, when it comes to drafting over a long enough timeline, I don't think is like that huge. So especially the guys near the top of this, Kevin Colbert with the Steelers is awesome. I mean, look at the receivers he's drafted in the last uh, handful of years alone: Juju and Deontay Johnson and, Cl- and Claypool. And you add that to you know T.J. Watt and Dupree. He was right there. The one guy that surprised me being higher than I expected was Jason Light. Maybe I shouldn't be because they just won a Super Bowl, but when you think of Brady and Gronk and, and the guys they added in free agency being so important, but my, I mean, he drafted so many good players in Tampa and his draft last year with Winfield and Tristan Wirfs kind of putting them over the top. Like he was ranked number three. I think Jason Light, who's seen some, some low rankings on the GM rankings before, he's going to be pretty excited. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Light, if you, you know, it's not just um, recruiting Tom Brady. Like he set the table there with a really solid roster. And, you know, we've talked about it on our show that how many good defenses um, existed last year in the NFL Two or three. I mean, most of them feel like, you know, pushovers for the most part. The Bucks defense was a total game-changing unit, and so Light deserves a lot of credit. Colbert, to me, like, I mean, he has been doing it for a really long time. And you talk about, like, you know, Ballard having a shorter track record but a successful one. 
the Steelers have been mighty um, for so long under him, and he has become like the wide receiver drafting wizard. And I just think he's been an incredible asset to them and like as consistent as you could hope for from the GM position. Is there somebody, Greg, and I look at, I look at this list and I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling and I'm like, where's Belichick? Where's <laughs> Belichick? 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 18 on this list. Bill Belichick, uh, was, first of all, as a Patriots wow. guy, how, how hard was that? Uh, that's out of 23. I mean, nine guys I mean, didn't even count because they're brand new and they've only done yeah, one draft. I mean, that, if, I mean, did that surprise you or did that kind of just did that make sense to you as you did the exercise as confirmation that he's really struggled in this category in recent years? It, it didn't surprise me because, you know, just being a fan, like think of who are the good draft picks they've had. Joe Tooney, that was pretty good, but he's he's not no longer on the team. That's not against him. Shaq Mason um, and, and some other okay picks. I had to go back to Trey F- Flowers. I did my best pick, worst pick. I had to go back to 2015 to and went Trey Flowers as like the best pick. They had those years, you know, they had because of suspension, they lose a draft pick and then they trade out. They, didn't, they haven't had a first round pick three times, but their picks have been pretty bad. I mean, the second round defensive back picks, I just want to read them off. And all these picks were guys almost exactly that everyone watching the draft was like, really? All right, here are some defensive backs. Just since 2015, they have taken in the second round. Jordan Richards, Cyrus Jones, Duke Dawson, Juwan Williams, <laughs> and Kyle Duggar. I like Duggar, by the way. He was a rookie last year. But the other four, they, get, they like gave him absolutely nothing. So if the Patriots' strategy is load up on second-round picks because they're cheap, uh, like they've swung and missed so many times. And also, like I mean, when, you, when you lose 14 first-round picks over a 20-year period for various cheating offenses, <laughs> it's going to make your job harder. It's just there's no way around it. That's a fair point. I mean, I mean, also they've been picking their their first round pick has essentially been a second round pick for so long that I mean, some of these GMs where the team hasn't advanced as quickly as you'd like are picking in the you know ten Colbert, to fifteen slot. You know what? Colbert got it done. I mean, he's picking late. Um, they've had a few whiffs too, though. But I mean, I like Belichick. The thing is, it is just the pure drafting because you want to talk about team building. And leadership. I mean, Belichick is second to none. I I struggled. My eyes almost blew up on a list where Belichick is two spots removed from Ryan Pace. I just struggle with the concept of it. But I see it's it's a it's basically essentially on who they've drafted. And the Patriots they've struggled in that area. And There's people no question like about it. people like to get on Belichick for oh he hasn't been that great. A dra- he was a they were a very good drafting. Uh, I would say until this run. Julian but Edelman seventh round pick. It's sort of fallen apart ever since the draft where they traded up. People forget for Hightower and Chandler Jones and drafted them together and since then they have they have had trouble like Howie Roseman's another guy like I've done these GM rankings for years and Roseman and Belichick I one year I think were one two and they're and Belichick's always one and it was just like the body of his work over 20 years and Roseman was always high the, the Eagles were even worse in this exercise I mean the best player they've drafted that I could come up with in the last um what is it? Four years since he took back over, or five years since Roseman like got back out of the side of the building he didn't like <laughs> was Dallas Goddard. Like the next one was probably Wentz and like Jalen Mills and and then a lot of misses for. for I want to be like if we ever who knows where our career goes from here, but if we ever ended up working for a, a team website, it was the Eagles. I would demand to be on that forbidden area of the Novacare complex. In Philadelphia, where all the ghosts hang out, the ghost of Chip Kelly and old Howie Roseman and that analytical guy that uh, Roseman hated. I just want to be in that, like, dusty cobweb area uh, well, I, of I, 
the Novacare complex. I, I tend to think they would they would place your office as far away from like sort of the nerve what center your of role football be? activities what would your to begin role with. Be? We would be kind of like we would the, be Eagles podcasters. I mean, this is okay. Baldy kind of a does grim that reality. a little bit. You know, Weish is is working for AtlantaFalcons.com now or the Falcons. So congrats to them. Like, you try telling Baldy that need, he has to go sit in the office off in the distance. Hustles. We need. To, how about um? I you know I guess it's only going to work with like the GMs that. I praised um, John Robinson. I put you up at number six. Not a lot of John Robinson love out there. I put you up, he says, assuming John Robinson watches the show. Um, I love it. How about Jerry Jones? Like, people make fun of you all the time. You know, you're in the top eight. So uh, way to go, Jerry Jones. So if you got any extra scratch sitting around, you need three podcasters to just do, like, an incredibly – you know, positive Cowboys podcast. We could do that for the rest. And Stephen Jones is like, can you at least give me a slash and put me in the conversation? I know. On, I don't bro. know. What, I don't know what to do there. It's probably and the guy not that cleans really the Jerry glasses Jones at this point, but you don't really <laughs> the, know. Like the guy that cleans Jerry's Jerry's glasses. Get him on the, a slash there. Finally, right. John Gruden, Mike Mayock, dead yeah. last. Now, I, listen, man, I get it, but I also don't get it because there has been. Here's the thing. We we talk about this sometimes. We're talking about Cliff Kingsbury, for instance. And whenever I say he's on the hot seat this year, you say, well, when you look at what they've made progress in, uh, you know, as he, since he's been there. So maybe this isn't a playoffs or bust for Cliff. Uh, and maybe you're right about that. With the Raiders, he inherited an awful team, uh, John Gruden, and, and he rebuilt it to the point where they are very competitive. They've failed in recent Decembers, but... I feel like there's more foundation since he's been there than there was uh, when he came aboard. But you have him dead last with Mike Mayock along for the ride. So you don't agree, obviously. <laughs> Someone had to be last. Gettleman was second to last. They've only had three drafts since Gruden's been there. They've had like five first round picks in the last two drafts. And the best one is probably Josh Jacobs, who didn't look great last year, you know, overall, I mean, it was okay. Um, Cleveland Farrell at number four, Jonathan Abram was a bit of a fiasco. Like everyone was kind of like waiting for him to come back from hard knocks. And he struggled last year. Like the guys they drafted who looked good in 2019 didn't look so good in 2020. And they've had some pretty big swings and misses otherwise. So he was hurt because there's only three drafts to judge off of. And they've had a lot of premium picks and they haven't really hit like any big ones i would say i mean you'd have to look at the khalil mack trade and the haul that they got in return and i don't think it looks that impressive but i'd always have a question with the setup um in las vegas you've got gruden and mayock and i mean mayock is a an alpha male and uh, you know i think he's got a good eye for talent but gruden always feels like he'd be a a coach that is going to grab Mm. as much power as possible so when you you know you have to put them together like you did i don't know who takes more of the blame there though but i do think they have gotten better they they he inherited a disastrous raiders here's here's my theory by the way i think he's a really good offensive coach so i think he's coaching them up offensively really well and the rest of it, you know, you take you go off the board a little bit. You take Farrell number four. You take rugs ahead of some really talented wide receivers like Justin Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb. You're sticking your neck out a little bit. You got to be right on those picks. It's that, early, the, but, you know, the Farrell and some moves they've made uh, in the different defensive front confirm some doubts about Farrell. And yeah, rugs needs to hit rugs needs to hit in a big way, especially with Justin Jefferson being all world uh, in his first year in Minnesota. 
All right, check it out, NFL.com slash Rosenthal. If Mayock ever comes back to NFL Network, I just You're hope uh, he won't know about this. They, but you've, it seems like they always find out somehow. We've known you for like 10 years, Greg, and like half of your relationships are like Larry David. There's like some uncomfortable <laughs> nature to them. So it won't be – I'm sure you'll be okay with it. You'll be cool. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he was uh, texting me to go play uh, doubles or anything. No, he definitely was nature. not. <laughs> Greg's like our version of Larry David. Um, all right, take it. moving on. Larry Next. David money. Give me it. All right. <laughs> we'll work on that as well. All right, good talk there. What a show. Zach Kiefer talking about the mailman. Did some good news. Uh, Greg's GM column, fire. And now to cap things off, it is draft season. So let's get a rising star in the draft analysis game. Uh, he is a contributor for The Athletic. He writes draft reports for Bleach Report, and he is a second-time visitor to the Around the NFL podcast. Let's welcome back Nate Tice. Welcome back, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So two times, when is there like a, a cap after five or like a T-shirt with your name on it after 10 or something like that? No, there <laughs> is there is definitely not a cap, but we – and this kind of um, – this piqued the curiosity of our listenership for sure that I kind of let it slip that we do have like a hit it and quit it club. Uh, people that are uh, one non-hit wonders. <laughs> the check the box club. Gotta... Yeah. And, That's you know, if amazing. you don't if you don't bring the heat uh, and for whatever reason, you rub us the wrong way, uh, whether it's your performance or even your Internet connection, it could be a, th- oh then your, your history. So, Nate, I think this <laughs> confirms that we view you as an asset on the show. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's a, uh, Mark and Greg will test the draft blind spot would maybe is a little too strong, but also spot on. We need help sometimes. I don't think it's too strong. I think it may be accurate. Yeah. It might Uh, be spot on. (laughs) It's not our thing. We really take over. We take the baton once these guys hit the pro level, uh, but we need help. And, and we want to talk about, um, some of these prospects that are interesting to you. Let's start at quarterback. Nate, I mean, everybody loves to talk quarterback. Um, Justin Fields is a guy who it depends who you talk to. You know, obviously he's one of those guys that's a somewhat polarizing figure. Where do you fall on Fields and where he fits into this and whether people will be smacking their foreheads one way or the other a couple of years from now about where he went? Mm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of Fields. I have him. Uh, originally, it was the big four quarterbacks, and then all of a sudden, now it's a big five all of a sudden after we just watched Mac Jones for an entire year, but also now everyone wants to love him for this past month. But uh, I have fields at two overall or two overall, my, my just prospects and also just behind Trevor Lawrence. And I think he's closer to Trevor Lawrence, who I do view as truly a generational quarterback prospect. I feel I, I view fields as closer to him than any of the other quarterback prospects. Mm. Like I am, I'm extremely high on him. I just think he kind of he checks all the boxes, especially as a modern quarterback. And not everyone wants to talk about, oh yeah, he's big, he's athletic, the classic trait stuff. But he's just so intelligent, and just what he does every every week, weekend, week out, what he was doing with the Ohio State offense because it's just such an aggressive offense that's very down the field, very very just attacky, attacky. I mean, actually, it's a uh, if you guys remember like the late Danny Green and my dad's offenses in Minnesota, like those type that type of scheme, Ooh. just everything's down the field, down the field, down the field. And he's so accurate at all three levels. That's what stunned me. I had heard of Justin Fields. You guys said, oh, yeah, I, we don't focus on these guys until they're the NFL. I'm about a half step better than you guys. <laughs> like, I watch, I watch Wisconsin football games, a couple other big games, and that's about it. Like, 10 college games a year, basically. 
Um, and so I was like, all right, what's the hype on this guy? I watched him. I was just shocked how accurate he was. And I mean, it's all three levels and he has the athleticism and the body control to kind of like, even when he's off balance and anything or anything like that, still putting on the money. So that was, I think he really is almost as complete of a package mm. as you can get at the quarterback position. I Big love fan. it. I mean, he does throw dimes. That's the thing. Like you, you watch him. I'm no draft Nick, but it's like 55 yards down the field. Like it's nothing. Yep. On, on the spot, like accuracy should be the number one thing. And, and it's funny. I've, I've watched what's happening this week in the Cognoscenti and it, it was predictable. They're getting to the point where I at least felt like I was thinking about a couple weeks ago, which was just like, well, maybe let's not spend all this time killing the Mac Jones pick before they wait. They make it for the 49ers. Cause it's like what, I mean, granted a lot of, pre-draft process you know talk is like a waste of time i think the fact that there was no combine here like this was the time of year by the way our friend chris wesley he hated this time of year because like it's it's a lot of hot air it's a lot of narratives changing without anything changing but my thing was kind of like okay we have all these smart people you're watching justin fields he's a pocket guy he can throw off platform he's accurate i don't know maybe the 49ers don't want him maybe they do but like let's Let's see what happens before we kill it. And maybe by the end of this process, they do take them and everyone's like, oh, yeah, actually, that makes sense. Like, are you with (laughs) me? Are you with me that they could do that or that they could take Trey Lance and that maybe this is just like a whole bunch of people being wrong? By the way, Adam Schefter and Rappaport are often wrong on like predicting where the draft guys are going to go. It's just a fact. Uh I, I plug my fingers in my ears and just go, as soon as I have my opinion on a player, I just go la, 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 la. Cause it's just like, what, what is a pro day in shorts going to tell you? Like, why does that change anything? We, we overestimate how much that changes. Maybe it does. I mean, for some decision makers, sadly, but it's like, what, what changes with these guys? We have the film on them already. I do think it is a smokescreen. I do think mm. at three, they're going fields or Lance. It's just so, it just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> like you just watch these guys and you're like, I get it. Which, Mac one, Jones is a fine you, which one do you think if, if you had to guess? Cause like Lance is a bit of a mystery to us. I, I think fields uh, uh, is the pick, but, or, or what they would have, have above, but I can see the argument for Lance and, and Lance, I compared to Donovan McNabb. Like if you want to get like a little, close your eyes, like kind of like picture what a player he is, even the over the exaggerated over the top delivery, like watch him throw. Like, and you guys will know, you know, the time period you'll be like, yeah, and he wears number five too, so that also <laughs> adds to it. So it's like, oh my god, this guy's a lot like Manette. He's big. He's like about six two and change, but he's thick. He's very well built. All these guys are well built, except you know Zach Wilson's a little skinnier. But it's, I, I think it's Fields. That's that's a personal thing. But if they went Lance there, I get it. Like because his upside is just huge, and he's Lance is so much more. He's an unprecedented kind of prospect. FCS, all that stuff. You guys have heard it, even if you're not paying attention to it. It's that. He was so much more intelligent and more uh, polished than I was expecting when I was watching him. He he makes adjustments and protections. He, um, which what like you can tangibly see it. Like you can act. It's not me just guessing. It's like you watch him. He's communicating, and then after the fact, you hear stories about like no, that's him communicating. He's changing the protection points, and he was doing that as a retro freshman, which is just like holy crap. Like that is like some really really interesting stuff to watch. And he's just a very mechanically sound. He's almost some, sometimes a little too robotic. Like he's like too well coached. Like he's like, okay, get to the first read. Okay. Now to the second read. Okay. He has to speed it up a little bit, but man, he, he has a lot of tools to work with. He's supposed to be an outstanding kid. You can see the intelligence every time he's playing. And that's really mm-hmm. cool. 
So he's a little less of a project than even I was expecting when I was first watching him, but he still is a little bit, just, you know, adjustment to the speed of the game. But I, I think it's Fields or Lance because I just can't see the move up for a Mac Jones, who who I think is more like a Chad Pennington, Pennington type than a guy that's like a, a MVP type candidate or a guy that's like an all-pro, pro bowl candidate year after year. Nothing just, wrong with I, Chad Pennington before the show. No, yeah, no Chad slander Chad. on this. That was a, it's a compliment and a diss. That's the thing. It's like, <laughs> no, it's, I, hear I, you. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I know. No, but that's why I'm trying. Oh, man, I should. I hate that I'm saying this, but people on Twitter like took that as a diss. I'm like, have you guys watched Chad Pennington? Do you remember Chad Pennington? Like, this is as good. Like, that was, was a high really, compliment. Yeah, he was good. He was good. Yeah, he was good. He was good. But that's, that's a good little snapshot in your head that what I kind of p- project him as. More of like a number eight, number nine, seven, best quarterback in the league. Good. It can be very good with a, a good system around him where, you know, it kind of has a year where he has a Pro Bowl year with a really good team around him. You know, but it's – that's his upside. You sound like you're just, talking about Andy Dalton. A little bit. <laughs> Mark, uh, what were you going to say, Mark? Well, I was – first of all, I am mystified by the concept of the Niners um, having to delve into smoke screens when they're sitting at number three. I mean, it's one thing if you – that to me, that I, that's the whole separate thing. But I would ask this almost on behalf of, of Dan and Jets fans. Like, it's kind of ticketed that it's Zach Wilson to the Jets. I wonder, one, if, if that could change during this process. We're getting close to the draft, so maybe it's just their guy. But if you're the Jets and you're sold on Zach Wilson, what about him could sell you over Fields, over Lance, over the rest of these guys? Because, I mean, it, it just seems like a foregone conclusion that it's Lawrence and then Zach Wilson and I, I are the Jets that sure? They they seem like they are, right? I, I actually did say to somebody actually literally yesterday. I said if Joe Douglas with this this was the biggest smokescreen ever, and Joe Douglas ended up taking like Fields at two, I'd be like he'd be like my favorite GM, right? Because like just to be able to like just get everybody off the smoke off, off the scent and just also goes completely different. Um, Wilson is. is He's exciting that I'm going to openly admit that he's a very exciting player. I have a lot more negatives on him than the other three guys that I've, we've already talked about. Well, we didn't really talk Lawrence, but you get it. Um, but it's it's with Wilson. It's, uh, you know, he that creating the play, creating off the platform stuff. He is accurate. Like, I do see a lot of the accuracy. My knocks with him was that, he, you know, he, he's skinnier. He's under 210 pounds. Um, he, he played like 214 as pro day, but whatever, that's water weight. He, you know, he's skinny. And if you're under 210 pounds, if you look at the history of quarterbacks that are under 210 pounds, I, I hate that I'm making such a big deal about weight, but it actually holds mm. up. You have to be a freak athlete like Vic or Lamar or Mark Bolger. <laughs> and that's mm. it. Like that, that's right. it. If you're under 210 pounds and that's a six round pick, I think Bulger was, what was your weight at Wisconsin? You were, you know, famously uh, Russell Wilson's backup with it. Were you uh, above 210? I, oh yeah, I was 232. I, I hung out with the Lyman. So that was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of beer, well, a lot of unhealthy eating. The, I mean, you know? to that point, <laughs> to that, to, to that point, Nate. So it, you played D one college ball. Is, is that something where, you know, these guys fill out uh, and now yeah. I'm talking as jets fan a little bit, the idea like he's not going to probably be at two ten five years from now, or or certain body types. Is he just always going to seem to you, or probably end up as an undersized guy in terms of the weight? I think feels like it's something that could be addressed. Well, it, you know how like Derek Carr's built. You know he's kind of thin. Like don't you know, come like, at like, Zach Wilson right now, Nate. Dan's got <laughs> no, his I like, backup already. I, I see that. I see that. But that is that. That's a great, great point. I think he is maxed out as far he can get stronger, and you can get it up to you know two eight to ten. But it's more like that's just a snapshot of his frame. 
And right. it's like, he is, he is skinny. I, I hate that. I talk about like all these like body type stuff, but it, it does hold up. It's just like the skinny, he has kind of that skinny leg frame where it's like, okay, he seems to be already kind of, there's not like a lot of room for growth that I can see. Yeah. But literally, what about, literally. what about Tom Brady's combine photo? Huh? <laughs> what is it going to be that accurate that like every single ball is going to be on the money? Mm, <laughs> see, yeah. that's I mean, I'm a little I, uncomfortable. Yeah. With this skinny shaming, it's tough out there. Um, <laughs> For us small frame guys, Mark knows what I'm talking about. Like we were getting um, some nice swag, you know, thank you to the podcast department. Awesome. Like we got some swag in the mail. But it's like if you're asking for that men's small, they don't got it. They don't even they don't even have that as an option. Well, hold on. They're going to go straight to the truck up here. It's going to be baggy. You wouldn't be small, Mark, but I would be. And it's like, no, we we don't have that. We're, We're the medium. I am a I'm a bona fide medium, and I view my body as you know just a maybe a tick uh, left of pristine. So I don't don't <laughs> bump me in with your your business. XL and proud here, um, Nate. So <laughs> yeah, let's move off quarterbacks for a second. Um, I got back what? down to XL recently, and I'm so proud of myself. Like, <laughs> it, it, like I'm so proud of myself. Like, also, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, it's so hard getting two X stuff to like fit properly, and all of a sudden it's like XL. I'm like, oh yeah, that's nice. That's go. nice. It's not, every, not everything's baggy. It's like this is great. Yeah, T H I C C. No, so uh, wide receivers. Let's talk wide receivers yeah. here. Jamar Chase, obviously, everybody's in love with him. Devonta Smith, uh, Jalen Waddle, the two Alabama receivers. Um, you see how in year one. It, these guys can hit and become immediate playmakers and stars, as we saw with Justin Jefferson, just to name one example last season. Outside those three guys I just mentioned, is there someone else in this draft class or a couple guys, however many you wanted to talk about, that jump at, out at you that could be immediate uh, contributors? Oh, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite players in the draft, period. And actually, my receiver, too, um, ahead of Chase, which is kind of crazy. It's It's splitting hairs, is Rashad Bateman from uh university of minnesota and, and i i love bateman I, I i think he is just like a no-brainer gonna be a contributor day one type of player and has wow. the upside to be to be more like i am a big big fan of his just the polish he brings the route running he's doing 301 level stuff um as a true junior actually really as a true sophomore was his real tape this year was weird he had covid he he opted out originally played a couple games then he opted out again like kind of a weird season for him but his progression, he's super young too. He's come, he's twenty. I think he just turned twenty one. He's only a couple months younger than Jamar Chase, who everyone brings up his age. This guy was dominating too. Just but he was just you know he's a couple months older, I should say, than Chase. And but just the that polish that uh, uh, right away he's going to be a route running technician. My mm. original comparison for him was Allen Robinson. Um, he weighed a little less. He weighed one ninety on his pro day. And I was like, Ugh. but then he had 33 inch arms. So I was like, okay, there we go. All right. There was the size that I was seeing. So really the comparison more is more like a Calvin Ridley type. Um, but you know, th- but just give me like a little snapshot in your head of what his type of style is. He can play inside and out. Uh, like I keep bringing up his route running. Cause it is, it's really impressive to see um, a guy doing that at a young age in college. And he's, he's just a guy that does everything well or better. Everything's good or better. There's no like true, true weaknesses, which is, really cool to see a lot of his issues or like what people's concerns were with the speed. Um, and I was just laughing. I was like, he's from Georgia, the state of Georgia, and he was a late bloomer. And then he went to Minnesota. And I, I keep making a joke. It's like, just because he went above the Mason Dixon line, doesn't mean he, he got slow. Like, right. you know, he, he's, right. he still has, he's still fast. Like he timed a four, three, nine as pro day. He's more like a four, four, eight, four, five, two type of guy. 
but it's it's not a weakness. It's just mm. like he's not. Give it he's to me. Give him to the Patriots I, then. And, oh you know, yeah, if they, can't, if they can't get Fields. Fit. I mean, my dream scenario is is definitely Fields falls and they like trade up to nine with Detroit or whatever Detroit or whatever the number, and yeah. they go get Justin Fields. But backing that up, um, you know, try, try another receiver. Give it. Give up on Nikhil Harry. This is a deep receiver draft. Listen to Nate Nate Tice. I mean, you're saying he's up there with Jamar Chase. He, some people yep. think he might not even get drafted in the first round. So that is a bold take. This is much like um, when our friend Spice Rack came on uh, and went hard on, was it Jonathan Williams? And really his reputation as a draft analyst was, was going to be based on that player. So if Tarnished if you beyond be recognition. The, right. If you want to be on the three-timer club, Nate, I think it's going to really depend on. You're going to have to hit. Man. It's going to be one year later. Like we have to wait all the way. So it's like we're proof in the pudding. No, I just, I honestly, I, I am a believer in this guy. I just think he, the qualities are bring. but actually that's one of my favorite fits is the Patriot fit because especially with the guys they signed this off season, his skill set is just like a perfect synergy for what they need because he can be like a true, true X and then move around on other, on like third down, just like Devonte Adams does comes in the slot on third down. Like he can do that stuff. And I, I think he can do it early on. So that's why I'm just so high on him as you guys can tell, but it's good. I, I can't wait to, I'm glad I st- stuck my flag in somebody already. And now <laughs> reputation st- staked on that. That's great. That's I have a way, weird one for you. Like, like so one thing that i've heard little whispers of like over the years is that you know society's changing um at, you know a lot of a lot of guys just aren't as tough as they used to be we don't have as many like farm boys and stuff do you worry about the future of for instance this offensive lineman in general where that position comes from like is there at some point um a scarcity of people willing to do that as their career and really even just have sort of the physical body for it. Or is that just hogwash? A little bit of hogwash. I think as long as the money's good, (laughs) it's going to, especially when tackles start getting paid a lot. Um, Actually, it's kind of interesting. If you asked me that five years ago, maybe five, six years ago, I actually would have been like, yeah, I could see the concerns. And these last couple of draft classes and who's entering the league, especially last year's tackle draft, um, you could see like an influx of talent, more athletic guys are playing offensive line. Hmm. It's very interesting. More guys that I think would have been pegged as defensive linemen guys are like, Hey, we can make this work. You don't have to be three thirty Now you can be three Oh five and just be more athletic. The, the league is just becoming more and more an athletic league. I mean, it always is, but just more, I mean, look at linebackers. Like that's the number one position to look at, look at it. Hmm. Like, but I think, I think more athletic guys are playing the O line and also in college, they college coaches got so excited about running as many ball plays as possible, running 120 plays, especially in the Pac-12 and the Big 12. And then now they've kind of realized and found that sweet spot of 80 to 90 plays because when they were running 110, 120 plays, they weren't teaching the O-line, like, don't finish, just come back, get the next play, get the next play. That's, I mean, I swear mm-hmm. to God, that was their coaching point. It wasn't like, finish and grind them to the ground and like, you know, like, get back in the huddle. You know, like, it was more like, go, 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 go. It was just trying to run a fast break offense. So no coaching was happening. And I think now it's like, okay, it's come back a little bit. It's swinging back just a little bit where these guys actually have to play football. And, and honestly, and the other position kind of changes, these top corners are getting bigger and bigger. You should see these top two guys this year. And I think it's because these guys, since middle school, the NFL has been a passing league since these guys were in middle school. So these guys would have been receivers, but now they're six one. They go, no play corner. You're going to get paid if you play corner. 
these guys are getting smarter about that. And just like when all their, their trainers and all their, their family and friends around them, they're guiding them to different positions. Nice now. try. Interesting. You, you tried to bury the millennials. Um, surprising, move, surprising move by Mark, but it didn't work. And, um, Thank you, Nate, for sticking up for them. Yes, absolutely. Hey, oh, Greg, Nate. defender of millennials. Oh, really good. <laughs> I love it. That's why you had me on the show. Yeah, yeah he's a cool millennial jacket. It fits. It fits. Nate, uh, we feel smarter uh, after having you on the show today. And and thank you again. And, and we're all Rashawn Bateman. And it's all going back to Bateman. Rashad. Yeah. Rashad Bateman, this is what it's going to come down to here. Uh, and best Fields, of luck. Fields being closer to Lawrence. Then That's he a big is one too. To I Wilson like this. and Lance, so definitely some Justin Fields. That that could this is good. That could save you I, if Bateman doesn't work out. <laughs> you just got to hit on one of them. We, we, yeah, just one. one. Of All right. Hit. All got right. my two favorite players now. <laughs> Check out Nate Tice at, uh, at Nate underscore Tice on Twitter and follow all his stuff. Obviously, a man who is plugged in and understands the game. Nate, thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, there Thanks, he guys. goes. Good to have Nate on. Um, good show. A lot of stuff there. So, again, uh, Zach Kiefer at The Athletic. If you haven't seen the story, go read it on Chris Wessling. Uh, very happy mm. how that turned out. And um, uh, and we'll be back on the network side Friday with, uh, of course, the Around the NFL broadcast. Please check that out. And then uh, back on Monday with another week of podcasts as we get closer to the draft. So, mm. thank you. Anything you wanted to add there? You got a little hmm there, Greg? Shout out to uh, Stephen Cohen, the editor at The Athletic, who is a listener. And I, I know um had had exchanged messages with Wes over the years, too, and was a big part of that article. Yes, so we love Cohen. To do that. He's a good man, good dude. And uh, I know he played a role in the, in the article seeing the light of day as well. So thank you to Stephen. All right, good stuff. This is Dan Hans signing off for Quiet Storm, the old boss, and Ricky Hollywood behind the virtual glass. Until Monday, keep the call. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I'm late. I'm late. Very important. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from undercover tourists. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from undercover tourist and authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with undercover tourist now and save. Undercovertourist.com. Get in zone, auto zone. 
Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? I think my battery's dead. With free battery testing and charging, we can help you get back on the road. So what if I need a new one? We have the right Duralast battery for you, only at AutoZone. And what about my old battery? We can recycle it right here at America's number one battery destination. Restrictions apply.